Today's panel or fireside chat is about tokenomics and the future of tokenomics on blockchain. Um, and it's something that uh, is often not spoken about that much in the blockchain world, I believe. So uh, I'm actually really? looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I find that most people actually speak about um, you know, blockchain in general, ICOs, etc. But then when we come to tokenomics and crypto economics, we don't get down into the nitty gritty. So I guess that's why we wrote the book. Yes, potentially. So, but first of all, I always like to get a little bit of uh, audience participation going. So, uh, in the audience... Are these guys listening in? Pardon? Are these guys listening in? Absolutely. Look at these guys. They're so interested. Can I They're get you guys to, uh, to stand up for a second? My mic is dropping. Okay. So, um, I really want to understand um, in the audience what you believe... Uh, the future of tokenomics will actually look like, and a token economy as well. So um, someone actually asked online, because I went off into the interwebs and asked for questions um, for Thomas and, and this panel. And uh, Rafael Preza asked a really great question. It was, um, do you believe that there will be, in the future, a whole load of tokens with interoperability? So a plethora of them as we have now that can all talk to each other? Or do you believe that, uh, what are you doing over there? Or do you believe that we'll have a few tokens that are individual and they can't talk to the rest of the other tokens? So stay standing if you believe that there's going to be a whole load of tokens in the world. And if not, then sit down. So you believe that we're going to have a whole load of tokens with interoperability. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what you were doing behind me, but they seem to enjoy it. All these people work for me. Did you know? <laughs> <laughs> You've infiltrated them. So, um, Thomas, would you like to introduce yourself and provide some context to the lovely audience um, around tokenomics and what you do in the blockchain world? Okay, so my name is uh, Thomas Power. I was uh, first apprentice with Alan Sugar Great. in 1986. So I've been trained by uh, Lord Sugar before he was even Sir Sir Alan, as he was. I was 22, so I feature prominently in his first book, The Amstrad Story, and that's really where I was trained. That's where I met Bill Gates, Steve Barmer, Michael Dell, Ross Perot, Rupert Murdoch, being his uh, lackey, serving him. And then since then, I've worked with uh, Dell and Microsoft and various different companies, and now I sit as a board member on six different boards, uh, both public companies and private companies, supporting those entrepreneurs, some of which are focused on crypto, but uh, an array of tech. So I'm really a tech-supportive board member, investor in those companies and any others coming up. And I've been studying crypto since, really, I'd say 2014, 2015. And Sean and I, Sean, uh, oh, I wrote the book with, um, works for Consensus, he runs the Asia-Pac region, and he's very much a software engineer. He's helping all the corporates down there actually write their smart contracts. He has a five-day training course that he's delivered at many banks and particularly electronics companies in Korea and Japan, how to actually write the smart contracts and trains the accountants, the tech people, the legal people, how to do the nitty-gritty behind. I'm sort of the front man, uh, invest, 
act as a board member, support, train, coach, encourage, love, nurture. And my, my favorite project amongst all of these uh, tokens is Jason Goldberg's OST, One Simple Token, out of Berlin. Because I see a plethora of uh, tokens, I really see every brand having a token. So I see hundreds, but brand-based. And Jason has built effectively a platform you could describe as perhaps TAS, token as a service, a white label based on Ether that uh, he's delivering to brands. And he's now put that into more than 150 brands in the last couple of years. So he's my sort of pick of an organization I support and believe in. But I, uh, I'm very skeptical about the future of decentralization. Why so? Uh, because I, I don't think it's possible for these independent companies to stay independent of the fangs. And so I tend to think these uh, platforms, these protocols, these startups, if they get too powerful, the fangs will come and gobble them up. And what will that be? Centralized decentralization, decentralized centralization. What will we call that blend of the two? Because the, the fangs are so powerful now that they can buy any asset they wish. And fangs being Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. I've got you guys. I'd put Microsoft in as a fang. Yep. I know it's an M. doesn't fit in the phrase. Fang them. But yeah, they're, they're, they're so powerful. And if you look at how powerful they are, if you go back 20 years to the days of the strength of Nokia and BlackBerry Rim, those two companies got to $50 billion market cap, which is huge 20 years ago. But if you look at the scale of the Fangs and Microsoft now, they have touched or been close to, albeit it's dropped back in the last couple of months, a trillion dollars of market cap. 20 times the size of BlackBerry and Nokia at their peak. So any asset that threatens them, be it identity on the blockchain, brand tokens on the blockchain, provenance on the blockchain, anything that looks successful, they're not going to let their core business be attacked, particularly in identity, particularly in use of platform. They want to hold on to that. And I wouldn't even say consensus is safe from acquisition. That's a contentious issue at the moment, isn't it? And so it? I so like <laughs> to talk about that a lot because I, I love uh, Joseph Lubin very much. I think he's a terrific guy. But I think in the end he'll be tempted. I think everyone is tempted by uh, different incentives, right? Yes. So um, that actually brings me on nicely to we were speaking about whether or not, uh, you know, minimal decentralization will actually happen or minimal centralization may happen with that's a good word minimal large good. Um, large organizations potentially gobbling up the um, projects out there that supposedly are decentralized I so see that happening I think that there will be a number of them but then um, there are a lot of projects out there that have genuine you know reasons for being and and uh, and are genuinely decentralized so those are the ones that interest me most. Do you think they can survive the, the gobble-up brigade? I think if there is a, a big enough motive behind it and the uh, philosophical side is there, uh, then yes. But we'll see. We can't, can't tell the future, or we'll try and... You think moment. philosophy can beat greed? 
I'd like to hope so. Well, okay. I'd like to hope so. I'm probably too cynical. <laughs> so, um, how do you define uh, minimal viable economics behind, you know, the tokenomics of these projects that are um, decentralizing particular centralized entities at the moment? Wow. You want to ask that question a bit easier? <laughs> how minimal do you define viable economics minimal of a tokenomics? Minimal viable economics of a project. I guess it would be it would be the amount of capital required to get to a break even position on a pilot audience. That would be the minimum viable. So if you take I'll go back to Jason's uh, one simple token when they did their ICO last November 2017 that seems so long ago now. They raised uh, 46,000 ether in November. So, Ether, what was that? What was the price of that November last year? Four, five hundred dollars. Round about that. So that would have been, say, sort of fifty, sixty million dollars. They then hired. They then expanded their dev team from forty to eighty. They had enough capital to pay them that team for the next, at least back then, um, three to five years. Things have obviously changed mm. by nearly eighty percent since then. And they've got uh, to a break-even position with about 100 clients within a year. To me, they're an example of a, of a platform minimum viable project. But the brands who are white-labeling their environment, they're not yet at that state. So if you like, it's, it's more of a live R&D experiment for those brands to see if they can make it work for their respective audiences. And are there concepts that are uh, kind of underlying how you would approach establishing the minimal viable economics behind that? Yeah, like Unsplash with their images, rewarding people for uploading images, consuming images, sharing images. I think Unsplash is a very good example of something that's got enough users to say it's going to work mm. and they've only been running for about a year. And you know as well as I, it takes a number of years to get something like this out of the ground, just to educate people on the idea before you even get to the consumption. So I would say, subject to what happens over the next few years in terms of Brexit crashes, US corrections, market corrections, they should be able to get through by 2022, 2023 to a break-even position at Unsplash. And then they'll have a, a tokenized organization that they could scale at infinitum and then launch their own ecosystem to put those images into all the other networks and token platforms that will be available then. So it would have still have taken them five years to get to a, to a break-even position, if you like. But I think, I, I think the amount of capital required to get these things up is still in the seven to ten year time frame. So I, I, I still think the, the mainstream position for tokenomics, because I see a big crash 2020 to 2022 from Brexit and the, the corporate buybacks in the US, I see that as a very painful economic crash, fiat crash. And do you feel that that will have a negative impact on all of the decentralized projects that are happening at the moment, especially with what's happening with the crypto pricing now? Yeah, although I, yes and no. Um, 
One of the things, one of the things I, I'm a historian, so I like to look at previous events. And one of the things people forget about Amazon in 1998 is its stock price collapsed 90%. And now look at it. And so when Nuri Rabini started tweeting about crypto's crap, it's all Bitcoin's crap, Ethereum's crap, it's all crap, it's all shit, which I thought was unnecessary um, and kind of smelt of uh, someone was paying him to do that. Um, I thought, hmm, 1998 and 2018 looked terribly similar. 1997 and 2017 looked terribly similar. There's about 5,000 crypto token projects now. Whatever you want to call those, new codes, token codes, crypto codes. There were 5,000 dot coms in 1998. 99% uh, didn't make it but 20 years have, later. Uh, a plethora of information out there that's more easily accessible now rather yes. than when, you know, in the dot com bubble, it was just happening where we uh, started to actually access information so yeah you're that, right that allows people to make a more informed decision i would say yeah we do have close to perfect information but in answer to your question about the uh, the fiat correction crash whatever you want to call the brexit correction or the correction that's definitely imminent in the united states uh, albeit the end of 2020 just before uh, trump's next election which I'm interested to see how he handles that pain, real pain, just before an election, not this fluffy pain. Um, that could also be the time with that fiat crash correction, equities down, property down, for people to consider the new asset of crypto at that time and blockchain at that time and see it as a new asset class to put in their portfolio. And those projects which have got scale at that point, albeit it's probably sort of 2020, 2021, there should be about 50 of those by then. They could really become powerful in that dip. And often new technology is born in old co-dips or old world dips. That's when capital flows to new ideas. So I see I see it going down, affecting confidence, but then when people have had the education around blockchain and tokenomics, they think, hmm, this is a new area, this is a new asset class, this is a new place to move capital, but I, I don't see that really happening at scale until 2021, 2022, and I don't see mainstream until sort of 2023 to 2026 in terms of tokenomics and widespread use of tokens by brands because economic global market pain affects confidence so and people you, pull back from investment. How would you define tokenomics in a, in a sentence? In a sentence, tokenomics. Um, I think I'd associate it with, it with intention and incentivizing consumers and supply chains to engage in activity that improves the performance of the whole ecosystem, rewarding people for their contribution at the consumer end. If you like, uh, taps for tokens for taps, taps for tokens, and at the supply chain end to make the whole back end of everything from the, from the mine to the, to the car or the farm to the fork, fully, fully incentivized to get involved in that program for all of the all of the organizations and brands they supply 
currently we've got a very diverse network of operators. I say almost like a fully incentivized economy for good. And what would those incentive structures look like behind the, the tokens and the token economy? Well, I always think of something simple like Mark Zuckerberg launching a face coin because everybody has a Facebook account. I hope he doesn't do that. And uh, I think he will. Um, rewarding people for every like, every share, every photo, every video, every listen, every watch, every meeting, every event. Building up your face coins and then being able to redeem them at the Facebook marketplace. But based on some kind of social good, not consumption. Because I really think blockchain is about sorting out climate change. And I think the tech projects are a sideshow. To me, the real focus is on incentivizing consumers and supply chains to get involved in provenance and consumption, which is good and clean and positive for climate change. And currently, that movement hasn't formed. And if you look at the leaders that we have with Putin, Xi Jinping, uh, Trump, Juncker, uh, Tusk, they look like gangsters focused on power. They don't look like politicians. I think when we have our digital leaders in the 2020s who are focused on climate change, blockchain tokenomics will be about climate change and everyone will get behind that. And that's where the attention will go for tokenomics. But, you know, I'm, I'm someone who believes that Jeff Bezos could be president of the United States after Donald Trump in 2024. Not many people think that is even possible. But I, uh, I, I, see a, I see a Google coin, an Amazon coin, a Face coin. I, I think all the fangs will have their coins. I think the brands will have their coins. I think the big issue is your, uh, your very first question about how do, you, how do you standardize on a platform protocol that works across them all so they're usable and redeemable from the front of the supply chain to the back. And that's ever so complicated and suggests consolidation and centralization. Potentially. But philosophically, it's sort of decentralized, managed, overseen centralization. So it's sort of a blended half-half mm. world we go into in the 2020s. So we're speaking about the token economy at the moment rather yeah. than tokenomics yeah. in terms of the intrinsic uh, elements around the tokens and how those actually operate. Um, are there any questions in the audience for Thomas around tokenomics? They're all too terrified. No. Yeah, okay. So I have... I Are have you going to talk about the ICO and the security token question you put in your note? Go for it. So... Um, is the ICO dead? You know, we've had a lot of tweets over the last four weeks about the ICO is dead. It's all nonsense. It's all rubbish. And oh, it has been wrung out, so... STOs are real and, you know, it's almost our, like a relabeling. ICO is dead then? <laughs> I think unregulated ones are. Yeah, I do. In some ways, I think the STO or the security token or the equity token is almost like a regulated ICO. So we're kind of upgrading the labeling. But I think the concept of the initial coin offering and the, what we've seen over the last 10 years, I think it's been born from the ICO funding these new ideas with tokens. I, I can't see it as dead. because It's such a good idea and has been so successful albeit there's been many scams, 
but amongst the uh, amongst the scams, there are, I would say, between fifty and two hundred really good projects. Top three. Oh God, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm a board member of some of these organisations. <laughs> I can't do that. I can't. I'd be like Simon Cow, picking his favourite singer. I can't do that. Okay, so in relation to you know the the tokenomics and token economics. Um, for, for people who are looking to actually, because we're speaking about the future of tokenomics uh, you know, around blockchain, um, how should people approach um, starting to look at real sound tokenomics and implementing that in their project? Because I feel that many times, you know, especially when we're educating people on what blockchain is about, yeah. we often have people come to us and ask uh, about the actual economics behind the tokenization of these projects. So how would, you, how would you suggest people actually tackle that and bringing them up, up to speed around the economic concepts behind tokenomics? I really think you have to do that with a lawyer and an accountant in that area because I think the, I think the marketing ideas are very, very good, but there's a lot of legal requirement about how you release and manage a token and what you say about it and when you're a director of a publicly listed company as I am or companies you're not allowed to give forward guidance that's positive you're not allowed to say good things about the future of a company when you're a board member to the shareholders and a lot of the ICO projects have been oversold up front, promising growth in token value, promising yields on tokens like dividends on shares. And in an un unregulated market, that's illegal. You have to be regulated to make those offers. But you can't make future claims of value before events have occurred. So I think you have to be very, very careful about your token economics for your project and you have to have legal and financial advice there as you develop the idea otherwise you could be breaking the law and so that, that comes into the token design right yeah. so you're looking at the architecture of yeah the and the return and though and the return because if 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 we move to a world where everything is a security token because of the scams and the utility token is not allowed to be there because we're effectively turning token holders into equity holders and positioning it as like a yield on a share, a return, a dividend on a share, like a publicly listed company. And then those token holders, what rights do they have? Because they're almost like shareholders, but they're not. And then we talk of the equity token and security token. And um, David and Robert uh, Pillar have got a number of equity tokens, STOs planned for their platform for next year, assuming the FCA give approval after Sandbox 4, which is still up in the air, and very hard to see whether that will be approved with the Brexit, are we in, are we out, what does that mean to STOs and tokens for, for the market. Um, but there's like 90 projects queuing up there that have been through the proper legal process that have good token economics, that have got good design, to use your word, that have been approved by lawyers and accountants. That, that's a lot of projects just in London. 
imagine if we see that in uh, in Malta and Gibraltar in Singapore and possibly even in the United States although I tend to think it'll be the year after next year in the United States I think the creators of the token design the token economics need to treat their listing their ICO their IPO their STO like a publicly listed company and behave as such and try and have PLC type board members on board who are technically aware who have the skills to understand not just the company but the model around the project and treat treat the listing if you like like going on aim or on a lower market to a main stock market so I, I think that discipline is going to come through next year but I worry about what the Brexit effect is particularly in London because it's very hard to make decisions on new ideas mm. when you don't know whether you're in that system or in a new system because Brexit is kind of decentralized and staying in Europe is like centralized. We should always have a plan B, C, D, E. It doesn't there. seem like there are any other plans. Yep. For, and we still don't know whether we're in or out or half in and half out. Mm. So we're running out of time. Okay. Final question for you, Thomas. If you could write a message on a billboard about the future of tokenomics, what would it be? Well, what a good question. Who asked you that question? Um, I, I, would, I would say tokenomics will be industry standard as early as 2026. I think every brand will do it, every government will do it, and I think every organization thinks about how they're going to engage not just their consumer audience, but their business-to-business -business supply chain right back to the mine or the farm all the way through. How are they going to incentivize the whole system to be tokenomics for good as opposed to power-based or market share-based? where it's for the planet, not just for power or market share. So I, I see... Uh, this is a very long billboard. <laughs> I say tokenomics for social good. Okay, great. And with that, ladies and gents, I'd like to uh, thank Thomas Power and give a round of applause.